Good morning, church. Read with me Ezra chapter 5, 1 through 5. Now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edu, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. At the time... Tatanai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shetharanoah and their associates came to them and spoke to them thus, Who gave you a decree to build the house and to finish the structure? They also asked them this, What are the names of the men who are building this building? But the eye of their God was on the elders of the Jews, and they did not step them until the they did not stop them until the report sh- should reach Darius, and then an answer be returned by the letter concerning it. This is the very word of God. Well, there are several names of individuals that um, are significant to this congregation and this church, and many of you have never met them. Um, of course, Crosstown is, I don't know, what, 11 years old or so, and um, back before the church was started, there were numerous individuals who supported this church with their financial giving and prayer, um, and they've never even been to a worship service. Some of them are friends of mine that supported the church even long after we were financially sustainable from our own uh, membership and giving, and they continue to give. They continue to support Uh, individuals that, again, have never been here. You've never met them, yet this church would not exist without their support. Life is like that, even in your own life, isn't it? There are people who have Uh, supported you, supported your family in various ways, who've been kind of behind the scenes and have made it possible for you to be who you are, to get where you've gone in life. Um, The story of those supporters, those uh, actors behind the scenes is significant, even though oftentimes they don't get much attention. When we left off our study of the book of Ezra last week, the temple has, uh, work has begun, the foundation of the temple was laid, but we saw last week that opposition mounted, difficulty came, conflict, enemies that were trying to stop the work of the building of the temple. So we're picking up our story now, and if we're kind of watching the movie of the story, we would be wondering what's going to be the solution. How is the temple going to get built? How is the work going to start again and how will it be finished? Ezra chapter 5 tells us the answer. It will be finished. It will be rebuilt. It'll be the work will restart again by the support of the prophets. The prophets, through the work of the prophetic word, 
By prophecy, the building will be completed. God uses prophecy to rekindle hope among his people and to advance his kingdom through their faithful obedience to his will. Whether you know it or not, if you are going to achieve anything significant in your life, if this church will accomplish anything significant, if any of us will achieve anything significant, it will be by prophecy. By prophecy. This is the kind of support that we all need if we're going to accomplish anything lasting and significant. Now, again, a prophet or prophecy conjures up lots of different ideas and opinions. But I want us to see from the story of Ezra this morning how this all works. How is it that God uses prophecy? What is a prophet? What is a prophetic word? How does it enable God's people to once again rekindle hope and for the kingdom of God to advance in our day? To see this, I'd like to consider with you this morning the role of the prophets, the words of the prophets, and their effect. The role of the prophets, the word of the prophets, and the effect of the prophets. So first, the role of a prophet. What do we mean when we talk about a prophet? The story, of course, doesn't give us a definition, just the simple recognition here in verse 1 that this is what Haggai and Zechariah are. They are prophets. But we need to have some basic understanding of prophets in order to understand their significance in the story. So here's a few things that we can observe about a prophet. Verse 1 says, the prophets Haggai and Zechariah prophesied to the Jews, and notice the phrase, in the name of the God of Israel. So this is what a prophet most fundamentally is. This is their role. A prophet is someone who speaks on God's behalf. He or she represents God and his message to an audience before them. So it's no small thing, of course, to claim to represent God in this way. No one should go around lightly making a claim to be a prophet because, of course, you probably know the Bible condemns strongly those who falsely speak on God's behalf. Jesus warned of the preponderance of false prophets, Matthew 24, 11 and 24. John urges us as Christians to be careful for many false prophets have gone out into the world, 1 John 4, verse 1. The Old Testament prophet Jeremiah warned his audience of those who say they represent God and but instead fill people with vain hopes. Jeremiah 23:16 they speak visions of their own minds Jeremiah said and not from the mouth of the Lord. So a prophet at the very least is someone who can rightly say this is what God says. When a prophet speaks, he is prophesying. He is not philosophizing. Do you see the difference? A prophecy is a declaration 
of what God is saying. Uh, by the way, um, this is the reason why, as Christians, we have a tradition. It's not just our tradition. There's many churches that do this. Right after the scripture is read, the reader says, Jeremy says, this is the very word of God. You see that? The words we read in our scriptures are the words of God, prophecy. And, and so while many, any number of people could speak true things, convincing things, important things, a prophet speaks on a different level. He's not giving us his thoughts, but God's thoughts. He is sharing with us not his words, his wisdom, but God's words, God's wisdom. Now, I'm guessing that if someone comes up to you tomorrow and says, I am a prophet, you're probably going to be a bit skeptical. And for good reason. Not only because we've been told that there are many false prophets we should watch out for, so the Bible gives us reason to be skeptical of a prophet, but also because this isn't really a category that is very common in our society, right? I mean, you're not probably going to find many people claiming to be a prophet. If you say you're a prophet, most people are going to look at you like a little puzzled, a little weird. This is strange. But here's the thing. In, in, in Judaism, this was not so strange, and until we understand a bit more of the role of a prophet in Israel, um, we won't really understand what a prophet play, the role a prophet plays in our world either. So here, here's some things to, to know. A prophet was not on the scene for just any reason. This wasn't like a vocation that just had to be filled. A prophet showed up when significant matters were at stake. In particular, prophets were associated with climatic moments in redemptive history. Now, that's one of the reasons why you'll find prophets all throughout the Bible, because the Bible is primarily written to communicate to us the most significant events throughout redemptive history. The Bible doesn't tell us about everything that happens in history, right? It's selective. It's a big book. But it's selective about the history. It's, it's revealing to us the history of redemption. And so prophets are often on the scene throughout our Bible for this reason. The prophets were typically speaking into the moment, telling people what they needed to do to align themselves with God and his ways. God's on the move. And so a prophet shows up to say, this is a movement of God. This is what it means to now be on God's side, to be aligned with God's purposes. A prophet then was usually on the scene calling people to repentance or else face impending doom. Or perhaps they were on the scene to lead the people out of bondage and into freedom. We think of kind of the prophet par excellence in the Old Testament is Moses. He's on the scene to lead the people out of bondage and into freedom, a, a significant moment in redemptive history. This is what prophets do. This is the role they play. They are dealing with the most significant matters in history. 
So we have a prophet, two of them, on the scene here in the book of Ezra. So it's right for us to say what is significant about the moment Ezra's writing to us about. We've talked about this already throughout our study, but just to remind ourselves, the occasion here that's being told, the first six chapters, especially in Ezra, is the rebuilding of Israel's temple in Jerusalem following the Babylonian captivity. Why is that significant? And the reason is, This brings with it the hope for Israel that God is on the move, that God is restoring to Israel his reign over all the earth through his people, just as he has promised to do. This is one of the most significant promises of the Bible is that God is going to exert his sovereignty On earth, just as he does in heaven. When he does so, he will constitute for himself a people through whom he will execute that reign. So this is Israel's great hope. So at the end of verse 1, we read that the prophets prophesied in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. That is to say, the prophets represented God in a particular situation in order to express the will of God to the people. The prophets came on to scene to say, this is the will of the great king. He not only commands you to do this or to do that, but his full power and authority is with you to see it done. That's what a prophet comes to do. So what is happening in our story right now in Ezra is that God is imposing his authority, his sovereignty into a real-life situation. We're talking about real people, real places, right? Real historical events. Verse 2 tells us, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, Jeshua, the son of Jozadak, arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. These prophets are representing God. They're speaking on God's behalf. They're insisting that the temple be rebuilt, even though the project had stopped for some 15 years. And it stopped, we saw last week, because of the pressure of Israel's enemies who had used political force to shut down the effort. So when we read in verse 2 that the work had resumed, we're prepared for the conflict to emerge again. And that's what happens in verse 3. Kind of takes us through the rest of the chapter. But before we move on to verse 3, let's pause just a moment. What did Haggai and Zechariah say that got the, the work started up again? Many years have passed. We, we still have two familiar names. Zerubbabel, Jeshua, they're the ones who laid the foundation of the temple back in chapter 3. So what's going on here? What, why, what has Haggai and Zechariah said that has now moved them to start building the temple again? Let's consider the words that the prophets spoke. You see, Ezra wants us to see the prophetic role as applicable to many situations. 
Again, this is one of my burdens as we study a book like Ezra. It's easy for us to just sort of disconnect some ancient historical record that seems completely insignificant to you and me. But Ezra doesn't tell this story as just a story of the past. Now, if you weren't here last week, just a little summary, because the fourth chapter of Ezra is very unique in how it tells its story. If you were with us last week, you know that there is um, an intentional anachronism that Ezra uses in the fourth chapter. He basically takes us into the past, some 70 years into the past. Ezra himself, who apparently writes the story, lives 70 years beyond the date of the time he's writing about. The temple has already been rebuilt when Ezra writes. But he tells us the story to say that what happened, the struggle for Israel to rebuild the temple, is the same kind of thing that happens in his day and happens in our day. It's the same kind of story. And the role of the prophets 70 years previously in getting the temple rebuilt is still significant, Ezra wants to say to his audience, in our day. And, Christian, it's still significant in our day. The role of the prophets essentially is to summon God's people to action. Uh, Haggai and Zechariah prophesied, verse 1, and then Zerubbabel and Joshua, Joshua arose and began to build. So they say something and the people respond. That's what the prophets aim to do. They want action. The words of the prophets demonstrate that God is king, that he is active in his kingdom, and his activity is something his people are supposed to respond to. It should make a difference in our lives. Now, not everything that a prophet ever said, of course, is recorded in our Bibles, but you probably recognize the names Haggai, Zechariah. Those were two of those names when you were learning the books of the Bible. You were like, Haggai, strange name. These are two of our books in our Bible, in the, in the minor prophets. So we can actually read their words. Now, I'm not preaching through Haggai and Zechariah today, but let me give you at least a, a, a basic idea of what they say. First of all, they tell us this, the problem that Israel faced. So remember, it's, when we read the story of Ezra, it looks like political pressure, hostile um, forces from the Persian Empire have shut down the building effort. But you read Haggai and you find a different story or at least a different perspective. The prophecies do not involve responding to the Persian Empire. Because the Persian Empire was not the problem. Ezra 4 verse 4 tells us that the sons of the exile were discouraged and afraid. What they needed was the encouragement to believe God and to act accordingly. Here's what Haggai tells us has happened over the last 15 years since the people got discouraged Stop building, stop the project. You pick up the book of Haggai, and here's what you find. The people had become content with the current arrangement. They had built their own houses, but God's house was in ruins. They were comfortable 
but their comfort was short-sighted. They're in Israel. They're living in their land. Apparently, the Persian Empire is perfectly fine with them being there. Let them go back. They built their houses. They're living their lives. Everything seems fine, except for the fact that God's temple wasn't built. And the prophet Haggai comes and says this. Here's just two verses, verses uh, chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much, harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Do you see his message? He's saying, you, you think you have plenty. You're working harder. You've got food. You eat, but you're never satisfied. You've got plenty to drink, but always thirsty. You clothe yourselves, but you never can quite feel warm. This is the prophet's way of saying, this is what happens to those who put first their own kingdom instead of God's. You might think you have enough. You're satisfied. World couldn't be better. But... This is a kingdom, your kingdom, that you're building that leads to impoverishment, not wealth. It leads to oppression, not justice. It leads to weakness, not strength. This is not the kingdom of God. God's people are ever susceptible to the danger of living their lives to advance their own kingdom, their own comforts, their own security, while the temple of God, God's kingdom, God's purposes are in ruins. And the enemy is fine with that. You've got plenty. You're happy. You're living your life. You've got your career. You've got your family. Everything seems to be going good. This is not the kingdom of God. Zechariah's prophecy is not so much a rebuke, although there's some rebuke, but more of an incentive, a promise. Zechariah is largely about the glorious future. Put your priorities back in perspective. Seek first God's kingdom, and here's what you have to look forward to. Zechariah 14.9, And the Lord will be king over all the earth. Over all the earth. The rule of Israel's God, the advance of God's kingdom, the promise of the Bible means that the rule of Israel will go beyond Israel. It will extend its borders to cover the entire earth. This is what God has promised. This is the goal of the kingdom of God. Nothing less than this should be the aim of God's people at all times and all places. But if we are seeking only our own kingdom, and our own security, we may think we've got enough, but actually the world will remain in the brokenness that comes from seeking our own kingdoms. So all throughout the scripture, 
all throughout redemptive history, from the first glimmer of good news in the Garden of Eden, all the way until the consummation of all things, when the Lord returns. The aim is the advance of God's kingdom on earth. So in Ezra's day, here's what that means. Here's the action. Build the temple. Build the temple. And the reason is because the temple throughout the scriptures is the place where heaven and earth meet. It's the place where God intends to dwell in a particular way among his people. Okay, that's great. But what about us? What does God want for you and me in Oklahoma City in 2021? This story seems so removed, but the message is exactly the same. Think about it this way. What we need today, perhaps, is Haggai and Zechariah. We need a prophet. We need someone to come and speak into your situation and mine, your life and my life, what Monday morning looks like for you and for me. What does God want from us? What does it look like for his kingdom to advance in our day? We need a prophet. And this is exactly how we should understand Jesus. You see, here's our problem. Jesus would have been readily understood in the first century as a prophet. But when you hear the word prophet... Or even when you think of Jesus, your mind probably goes to a different category than what Jesus would have been understood in the first century. Let me just try it this way. Go up to somebody in the street today and mention the name of Jesus, bring up Jesus, and people will automatically assume you have just moved into the realm of religion. And yet, Jesus was not a theologian. He wasn't someone going around just giving different concepts of what the unknown God is like. But neither was Jesus a philosopher going around speaking general truths of wisdom that apply to any of us, whether you believe him or not. Jesus was a prophet. And, and dare I say, I, I'm, I'm trying to find, again, a prophet is somebody that's kind of an unknown category for us. So let me suggest to you, this is not without its difficulties. Let me suggest to you that Jesus was more understood like a politician in his day. In other words, Jesus came on the scene as a national leader. It wasn't just for the pious to listen to Jesus. Jesus was speaking of the kingdom of God to a nation, a nation that believed They had a God who was going to reign again over all the earth through them. So Jesus, when he shows up on the scene saying things like, the kingdom of God is at hand, this is Jesus showing up to a particular nation of people saying, we are going to reign. Our kingdom is going to be restored over all the earth. The kingdom of God at hand means that God is on the move. He's reconstituting his people. He's bringing an end to their exile. He's forgiving their sins. He's freeing them from all domination from foreign powers. And while many people in Jesus' day debated how that would come about, 
how it would happen. One thing was agreed upon, and that was the goal. This was the goal for Israel's God to again reign over all the earth. So this was how Jesus would have been understood. Jesus was in continuity with Haggai and Zechariah. He was speaking a message similar with similar effects. But here's the thing. Jesus is a prophet who never died. Well, he died and came back, right? He's still alive. He's still alive. He is still our prophet today. So what is he saying? What's the effect of his words upon us today? We have our prophet. His name is Jesus. And what is he calling us to do? Verses 6 to 17 in Ezra 5 relate to us Tatanai's letter to Darius, his report about what is going on in Jerusalem. But in his report, and especially in verses 11 to 16, we can see the effect that the prophets Haggai and Zechariah had upon the people. And if Jesus is a prophet in continuity with Israel's Old Testament prophets, then the same sorts of effects that apparently Haggai and Zechariah had on these people should have on you and me. Let's see what they are. First of all, notice this, verse 11. This was their reply to us. We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth. We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth. This is an unusual expression from the mouth of Jewish people, but it means this. It is an expression of their monotheism. We have one God. We have one king. We are his servants, and we bow the knee to no one else. This is the same effect that Jesus' words should have on his people today. We are surrounded by a pagan culture that worships many gods. But we worship no other god. Not this god first, then a bunch of others after him. We worship no other god than the god of heaven and earth. And verse 11 says, we are rebuilding the house that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and finished. We are, the effect of the prophets was to bring about a rebuilding, a renewal movement for God's people, a constant reformation among God's people to God's ways. Again, we know from Haggai, the people become complacent. They were perfectly happy. And so was the enemy with them just seeking their own comfort, their own security in this life. But the message of the prophets comes in and says, you were made for something bigger than this, something greater than this. So the prophets rebuke God's people, but they don't crush them. This is a prophecy that corrects the things in our lives that are a little off-centered, but it doesn't destroy. It renews. It renews. We read on through the report, and you get down to verse 16. Then this Sheshbazar came and laid the foundations of the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And from that time until now... It has been in building, and look at this, 
it is not yet finished. So the effect the prophets has first is it brings people to a repentance, a repentance that's not crushing, but renewing. Second, it brings, the effect of the prophets is to bring us assurance. This is a kingdom that is here, but not yet fully here, right? We learned this about the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, this is the same message that he's preaching. The kingdom of God is at hand. God has begun to reign. This is who we are. We live for a kingdom, a real kingdom that's here in time and space, but it's not yet fully here. There is work yet to be done. So people of God, we live for his purpose. We live for his work. Our job is, Every day is to be about our Father's business. Back in verse 5, the end of our scripture reading this morning, the text says, But the eye of their God was on the elders of the Jews, and they did not stop them until the report should reach Darius. The prophets assure us that God is with us. The kingdom is here. There's work to be done, but God is with us. But God is with us. It's an echo, of course, that we hear in Jesus' own words, parting words to his disciples. Go, make disciples, and behold, I am with you. I am with you to the end of the age. This is a work of assurance. We repent from seeking our own kingdoms. We are rebuked but not crushed. We're renewed for God's purposes, and we are assured that this work Moving forward cannot fail because the prophet, the great prophet, Jesus himself is with us. The last effect, of course, is that the people began to work. They began to obey. They began to do what Haggai and Zechariah were encouraging them to do. And the words of Jesus should have the same effect on you and me today. Of course, we live in a day as we've seen, where everyone wants to co-opt Jesus, make him a prophet of their side. But people of God, a prophet doesn't take sides. A prophet comes to declare who the true king is, the one and only one to whom our allegiance must be. In the same way, Jesus cannot be co-opted for any particular side, not politically or for any other cause. Instead, Jesus speaks the word of the Lord to his people and calls them to his side, calls them to the priority of his kingdom. This is who we are. This is what he has come to say, come to do. Now, people of God, respond. What is the response? What is the response for the people of God? It is simply this, to be devoted to this prophet, to be loyal to King Jesus, to follow his lead, to make disciples, not for ourselves, but for him. May God grant us that grace together. Let's pray together.